This episode is brought to you in part by Thomas Nelson, publisher of Now and Not Yet. Pressing in when you're waiting, wanting, and restless for more. Written and narrated by best-selling author Ruth Cho Simons and is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. From Christianity Today, this is Viral Jesus, a show about communication and the power of social connections. Everyone I talk to on this show is someone I follow or was told to follow online. Most of the conversations you'll hear are with people I have never met in person, yet they've impacted how I think. What does it look like for Christians to enter the chat thoughtfully? Let's grow together on Viral Jesus. I'm your host, Heather Thompson Day. Hello, friend. Thank you for joining me for this week's special episode. It is special because can you believe it? Can you even believe that we are coming to the end of our six episode podcast journey? I hope it's been as transformative of an experience for you as it has been for me. We've talked about healing from toxic celebrity culture, from our longing for a different life. We've talked about comparing ourselves to others. And we've talked about our desire to be in control and how to heal from emotional trauma. And today we conclude the series with a conversation about healing from our unmet relational expectations. But before we go there, we need to check in for our weekly hashtag blessed segment. This is where we look at a current topic facing all of us with social media and decide whether it's a hashtag blessed or a hashtag mess. Joining me today is one of my best friends, Vimbo Watson. She's a school administrator. I wrote about her in my book, It's Not Your Turn, because she has a powerful story of being single for a very long time. And we prayed together for over 10 years about her finding her partner. And so I can't wait for you to hear our hashtag blessed segment today. I'm calling all my singles, all my singles. I am calling you to this hashtag blessed. I want to talk with one of my best friends, Vimbo Watson, newly married. Vimbo Watson, about online dating. Is this a hashtag blessed or a hashtag mess? I have never online dated, so I really shouldn't give any opinion, but (laughs) I did try to be a part of your online dating experience as you were navigating it. Tell the people what you experienced. So I actually, I don't know if this is going to be a popular opinion, but I actually think it's a bless. I think online dating is one of the tools in the toolbox that you can use to find your person. I think it's a fantastic tool. I didn't meet my husband online, but I've been to several weddings where people met online. I do think it has the capability of being a mess. Okay. Tell us about the mess. I do remember there was somebody that kept asking you to send pictures of your feet. Do you remember that? So that's a mess. So (laughs) let's just put that out there. You did go through that experience. And how many days did you talk to this person where you're thinking, oh, maybe this is going to work. And then he asks for the feet photo. You're like, okay, this is absolutely not going to work. Yeah. It was like a weekend of messaging with someone. (laughs) So I mean, like, that's the thing, right? Like 
at the end of the day, you're going to hit some duds and like just being completely upfront about it. Not everyone you message is going to turn into something. I think I messaged this guy for like a weekend. So thank goodness it wasn't more time wasted of my life. But yeah, I think if you're just intentional, I think it starts with like what you put out there as your, I don't want to say storefront, but like your profile Mm. picture, your profile information being very clear. Like if you're a Christian who also really wants to be with another Christian, putting that on your profile, I think is the best way. I think online dating becomes messy when people try to be mysterious. And it's like, no, if you want someone who is ready to settle down for a relationship, who has similar beliefs to you, whatever that case is, like put that out there because that hopefully should help weed out some of the mess and hopefully bring you closer to what could be a blessing. So here's what I'm remembering again. You started an online speed dating Mm -hmm. called Between Believers during COVID Mm -hmm. because some of the online dating that you experienced was not well. (laughs) And so you said, I think I can do this better. So tell us about the mousetrap that you built and how you guys have pivoted now to trying to do courses just to connect women. Yeah. So that's the thing is like, yes, there is a lot of mess out there. And I realized that just people as individuals navigating online dating, it can just feel like a second job, right? Like you have to Google YouTube Uh... videos about how to online date strategically so that you are effectively attracting the kind of man or woman that you want to be with. And so we tried to at least take the first step out, which is we tried to bring together people who are similar as in you both believe in God, you're both identified uh-huh. as Christians. Um, and also we strongly encouraged people to join who are looking for a relationship or at least getting to know someone for the purpose of a relationship, not just a hookup. Like if that's your thing, right. knock yourself out. But that wasn't what we were about. And so, yeah, it was really effective, like dozens and dozens of people, event after event, logged on, um, connected for a few minutes and talked. And I think what was nice about that setting is that it moved beyond just like a dating profile to now somebody is talking and yes, it's on Zoom, but yeah, body language. Sometimes you can just tell within like a few seconds, like, (laughs) <laughs> the vibe is or isn't there. <laughs> you had like, what, 10, 15 people, and then you would break them into breakout rooms where they would yes. go on these little mini Zoom speed dates. How many yes. minutes did they spend alone in that Zoom room? So typically, depending on the size, we toyed around with the time, but it was five to seven minutes. Um, oh, that's a good amount of time. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it passed really quickly. And sometimes we got comments at the end of the day in our little... Um, we had a feedback form and people would be like, that was a long time. You know, if the, if, <laughs> if the vibe wasn't there, if it wasn't, you know, we weren't feeling it. But yeah, we definitely have transitioned at this point. We're offering more courses for singles, particularly single women, supporting them in their journey and trying to build community that way. Also, we've created a newsletter where we're sending out just events happening for singles around the country. So, you know, with upcoming things, whether it's meetups or virtual events or different things like that. So we kind of shifted to offering just singles opportunities to connect, single women opportunities to connect, and then also just singles having in-person events that they could attend in their area. And where can they find you? What's the website that they can go to if they want to find out more? So on Facebook, we are Between Believers. On Twitter, you can also find us at BTWN Believers. <laughs> Twitter didn't allow us to make it longer. Um, and then Instagram, we're Between Believers as well. So you can find us on all the socials. 
I absolutely adore Vimbo. We have been friends since we were like eight, 19. You were like 15. I was 19. We met at Christian summer camp. Her heart for singles. I just want to say this. Her heart for singles is so real and beautiful. You were single for a very long time and you felt like it was an overlooked population in the church. And so you decided to do something about it. And I'm just grateful for you and your ministry. So online dating, I know y'all cannot wait to at me on this one. Is it a hashtag bless or a hashtag mess? You decide. If you want to respond to our hashtag blessed segment today, if you have your thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear from you. Just type into your search bar, whether on Instagram or Twitter, type in at viral Jesus pod, and then just put a hashtag blessed on the end of whatever your comment is, and we will see it. We would love to enter the chat with you. It's time for our final episode of our podcast journey toward healing. We are going to focus on healing from our relational expectations. And to do that, I have a fantastic resource available to you this week. It's my latest book. It's called I'll See You Tomorrow. And if you loved It's Not Your Turn, you will absolutely find I'll See You Tomorrow to be a must read. I cannot wait for you to dig into this book. Beth Moore wrote the foreword for it. I could not be prouder of it. There is so much excellent advice right now and needed advice out there on knowing when to leave and how to walk away. But my work is in communication and relationships, and I wanted to provide people with a resource on how to stay. How do we love people more than their worst moment? How do we care about the person more than what they think about us? How do we live out what it means to serve a relational God who does not exist outside of the Trinity as human beings in a broken world? Joining us today is my co-author for I'll See You Tomorrow and my absolute best friend, also my husband, Seth Day. Seth Day is currently a full-time instructor teaching courses in public speaking for Andrews University and a course in Issues in Grieving and Loss for Advent Health University. Seth has a master's in human service counseling from Regent University and is currently pursuing a second master's in educational psychology from Andrews University. Seth is passionate about youth and young adult ministry. He served as a pastor and a young adult pastor in Denver and has worked for several years in public schools with at-risk youth. So here's something I've never done on the podcast before, which is sit down across from my co-author and my husband, Seth Day, and get to interview you about this book. How long have we been working on this book now? It feels like decades. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it, I, I, let's see, over, well, we wrote it um, this last year, but we bore that about a year before that. So it feels like a two year process. It feels like it. Actually, for you, this is a story people won't hear anywhere else. Hmm. Before, when we went on our very first date, do you remember that? I do sitting at the beach. Mm -hmm. And I said to you, I had just actually gotten a publication agreement for my first book. Mm -hmm. 
And I said that to you. And I, I remember there was like this shock in your face. Mm-hmm. Why was there shock in your face? Yeah. So I don't know how much of the backstory to get into this at this moment, but essentially really low point in my life. Um, and then we had just gotten reconnected and it was the first time we were hanging out. And one of the things that I was doing even earlier that week was writing in a journal. Long story short, I was at home. I wasn't driving. I was symptoms of PTSD, I think, really set in from the loss of my brother fairly recently. And it all kind of just compounded. And and then I just shut down and not really knowing what was going on and had all these symptoms of vertigo. I was in Tennessee. My brother drove down to Tennessee and picked me up. I didn't know what was happening. I'm like, listen, am I dying? My brother had just died. I'm like, it's not out of reality. Like, am I, do I have cancer too? What's going on? But really it was high amounts of stress and cortisol and undealt grief. Um, so I had shut down and I was at home and I just said, I want to tell my story someday. And I want to tell Tyler's story more importantly someday about his battle with cancer and, and giving his life to God while he was dying of cancer, essentially carried into the baptismal tank. Mm. And it was a really powerful moment. As painful as it was, it was powerful. I could also see the presence of God there um, gracefully through that suffering. And so I had started while I was at home writing down in a journal, because I was at home, I didn't have really, I think, ability to sit and type on a computer. I just had a notepad next to the bed, wondering what my future was going to hold, going to all these doctor's appointments and jotting down a story. And then we get connected and then we hang out and you tell me that you're writing a book and my jaw dropped. And so in a lot of ways, and you've said this to me before that you really felt the Holy Spirit say to you, one day I will Mm -hmm, let mm -hmm. you tell this story. And so in a lot of ways, I'll see you tomorrow, our book, that released this week, which were super, yep. I mean, what an experience. But in a lot of ways for you, especially Seth, this has been a 13 year yeah, truthfully. journey. So we always start our episodes by me doing some digging on social media. Now you are new to social media, but mm -hmm. I was able to find a quote from you. It's actually a quote from chapter two of our book. I'll see you tomorrow. And this is the last episode of mm. our pod class journey on healing. And I wanted to end by looking at how do we heal from our relational hurt or the things that don't feel ideal. Mm -hmm. in our lives right now. And so here's a quote that I'm pulling from you. It's posted on your Instagram. It's from chapter two of I'll see you tomorrow. And it says this scripture doesn't say with God, all things are ideal. Mm -hmm. It says with God, all things are still possible. Mm -hmm. What did you mean by that when you wrote that? So as we were writing this book and you're just looking for the right words as you tell your stories or what stories to share, it just came out on paper, literally like I, or, or I should say on, on the pages of the document I was typing in and I was just typing and I didn't realize that I had actually written that as I was sharing a story from my childhood, which is a story that I've never told before. Open mm -hmm. chapter two, sharing the story. And then it, it just kind of came out. 
And then I sat in that going, this is actually really, really profound. Actually, hold on. I don't want to rush past that because the story is really incredible. How does chapter two open? It's the first time you ever went to church Mm. is how you open it. But what's the story? I, I want to extend a deep level of, I think, grace to my father and forgiveness as well. So my point for sharing any stories in there is not to call out his absence. It's just to point out the fact of how that it affected me, because Mm -hmm. I know that he is a human being at this point in life who I would say had a short stick himself. And so he didn't have the tools to navigate fatherhood. And so I can realize that now I couldn't realize that at 16, 17 years old. And so Essentially, one of the stories that it opens with, the story it opens with, is my mother saying, get off the hood of my car, Cecil, which was my father's name. And she had these three young men in the back seat of her car. How old were you? Oh, man. I, Looking back, I couldn't have been older than like seven or so right, around that right. age. My older brother would have been about eight, eight and a half. And um, my younger brother was a few years younger than me. So we're all sitting buckled in one of those cold mornings and my father, there's this thud on the hood of the car and he jumps on the hood of the car mm. and they start. Cause he knew you were going to church. He or? knew we were going to church for one of the first times. And my mother cracks her window and she says, get off the hood of my car, Cecil, because here's the thing. I think that he knew she was leaving, that this was just one of those kind of like, sealing the deal things that she wanted more out of life at that moment. She wanted more for her kids. Mm. She wasn't happy with the lifestyle uh, that was being portrayed for us. And she had a little bit of an experience with Christianity earlier in life. And that was something that she wanted for us. And so literally on faith and probably a quarter tank of gas being a young mother, she decided to still put that car in reverse with my father on the hood of that car as they're yelling and her windows cracked just enough saying, get off the car, Cecil, I'm going, this is it. <laughs> and he grips that hood even tighter. And then she puts the car in drive and there goes Cecil into the ditch. <laughs> <laughs> and there goes my mother with us three in the back seat of that car down that country road. And so what I learned, and this was just the beginning of a very long journey, that day that my mother decided to put her children first, to put essentially God first in this calling in her life that there's something more, did not make life easier, Heather. It Mm. didn't make life easier. Talk about this in the book. It didn't mean that everything was peachy. I mean, we grew up in government housing, as I'm sure many people have. We grew up on food stamps, as I'm sure many people listening to this podcast can probably resonate with. And we relied heavily on aunts and grandparents to help get groceries and pick us up from school and all these things. The janitor, actually, of our private school where we met would come on a Friday, right? You yes. guys would pull up late after yeah. school and he would put school lunches yeah. in your mom's truck. When my mother went back to school and she sent us to the private school, which is a whole story in itself. I'm not sure if I should share how that happened financially, but it was literally like a miracle that we were able to attend this school. And so every Friday, my mother was also a part-time janitor and she had three jobs and three kids and was going to school, taking like as many credits as she could. We didn't have a lot of money. And so she would leave that school, pick us up. 
We'd go eat lunch or something. And then when everyone left to school, she would pull that car back in after everyone was gone. Like clockwork, every Friday, all three of us would jump out and there would be the school custodian with an entire rolling tray full of bread and leftover milk and all the snacks from the school lunches for that week. And he would pile them in the car and that's what we would live on. And so looking at back at the story, my mother has taught me, God has taught me that if we wait for the ideal in life, that doesn't always come. But what God mm-hmm. often does give us is what's possible. And I have wasted so much time in my life waiting for the ideal that I forgot to search for what is possible. And so it's been very healing to be able to put that into a book and hopefully that it will help someone else in their journey too. I remember when you wrote that line Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I like slapped your arm and I said, (laughs) Seth, that that. is, it it for me was just really convicting over Mm -hmm. my own life and I hope is super convicting for a lot of people. A lot of your story in Mm -hmm. the book is about the things that make relationships difficult. Mm -hmm. And so I just want everyone to understand, Seth and I have very different lived experiences. And so when I told him I wanted to write a book about how relationships could save us, what did you say? If only it were that easy. That was his reaction. And so I realized I needed to write the book with him Mm -hmm. because your lived experience is different than mine. And I think as does relationship, right? Mm -hmm. Which is why relationship is so important in this world. You help me to see things that I would miss or would not be sensitive to, Mm. or my optimism often might just like brush over. Go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah. I was going to say, I think that the the same is true in the other way. And I think that a lot of relationships, whether Mm. they're romantic or friendships, like it's been your optimism that has pulled me out from staying in this stuck position in life. There've been times where, listen, I can't change things, or maybe it's a mistake that I've done, or maybe it's something that's happened to me in the past. And you have said, listen, the only way out of this is to get your hands dirty because you're in this situation and you've got to grab a shovel and you've got to do the work if you want to see a different result. And so I will tell whoever's listening, I would not be here even in this office having this teaching job, working on another graduate degree, if I had not had people and whether you know we're, we happen to be married, but certainly we have an awesome friendship as well. Um, mm-hmm. When you had looked me in the eyes and said, I believe in you. And after failing out of college three times, I said, I do want this for my life. I chose to believe that. And you can testify to this, that it's never easy when someone attempts to make a change in their life. Heather, can you speak to, I forget what that rule or that concept is, when we want to fall back on something in case someone who is listening, because I think the book at the heart of it, this concept is portrayed in many different ways. When we mess up in our lives, we're so hard on ourselves. But what did you, you always say this, and I hear you explain this to students about looking at the time in between, the distance between that. Mm. Talk to us about that. Yeah, because this is a whole other conversation, but I just think sex is something we need to do a better job talking about in the church. There's so much shame there. I have so many students that truly like don't want to go to church anymore. And it's not because they're not, they don't want God. It's because they feel unworthy because of different sexual decisions that they've made. And I, I do think it's something where even our generation, when we had a cell phone, all it did was dial, right? And I didn't even have like, it wasn't free until after nine o'clock. So I couldn't even use it most of the day. But for my students today who are 20, 19, they've grown up with 
unlimited access to the internet in their rooms. A lot of them have made poor choices. And so they struggle with with the reality of the choices that they've made, especially as it relates to pornography and sex and different things. And so when they come to me and say like, I'm a porn addict. And I say, first of all, words mean Mm -hmm. things. Addicts are wasting time and wasting resources and burning relationships. Is that true? Or are you just somebody who watches porn? Because I do think there is a difference. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we'll label ourselves as something. And now that's my identity. Mm -hmm. And brother or sister, I I look, I say, that is not who you Mm -hmm. are right? That is something that you have done. There is a difference. And then I asked them, let's look at how many days in between yeah, this is it. This is that good. you've watched porn, right? Because a lot of times they'll say, well, I-, I watched porn again. Well, how many days in between the last time that you watched it? And for the last student I talked to, it had been six months. Mm. And mm. they were beating themselves up because, and not saying that it's a good choice. Of course mm-hmm. it's not, but let's look at who you were for the last, if I go to the gym every mm-hmm. day and one day I don't, and I, all I do is eat and watch TV. Am I like now somehow some like un-gym person? No, mm-hmm. 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 I made a, a choice, mm-hmm. but the reality of the consistency of my choices is that on most days I am somebody who goes to the gym. And so mm-hmm. I just think we have to put more days in between. Yeah. This is scripture. A righteous man falls down seven times, but gets up eight. The wicked fall once and they just stay down. Mm-hmm. So how do we encourage people yeah. to get back up? Can I take that concept? Because I think that you do a phenomenal job of this in the book. And it's this has been helpful for me because for someone, and if you're listening, you struggle to form relationships. Like we can have strong relationships with people if we take that principle. But the second something isn't perfect in that relationship, instead of looking at the 50 good days mm. that we've spent with this person and this friendship, and this is where I want you to talk about it, or this last two years we'll have that day or that weekend where maybe they weren't the best friend. And you have to define what that looks like. Maybe it was truly a harmful thing, but maybe because we're in such a cancel culture, they did something that was offensive, but definitely forgivable. Mm. And we're so quick to throw out that relationship. And we're forgetting that what is the actual consistency? Is it betrayal or is it letting you down? Or is it honestly someone who's been there for you pretty well over the last two years. And so I think that's important. I think that's honestly the the subtitle of our book is like building relational resilience when you want to quit. Yeah. And I think that's important to remember. And I've learned that through even writing this book. A lot of the stories that you tell in the book is about the grief of losing your brother mm-hmm. two days after his 19th mm-hmm. birthday. And you went away to college. And I think the idea there was, I just want to get far away from this right? From the, my home mm-hmm, and what's mm-hmm. happening and what I can't control. So I'm just going to start over. And so you went far mm-hmm. away, halfway across the country to college. And what happened in that experience mm-hmm. for you? Yeah. So I went to a surrounding or a place where I thought would be a good thing, but it really turned out that for me, that it wasn't because I lost the entire support system, the church mm. family that was there, uh, everything. It just I was in a new place. And what happened was I felt very misunderstood because not everyone, because I was in such a deep state of grief. And when you're around people you don't know, especially college students, people just want to have fun. They want to have fun and they don't want to be around the depressing guy all the time. And I could not help. It was almost as if 
the more time went on, the deeper the grief went because I wasn't sharing my story. Mm-hmm. Now that I help, that I teach a class in grieving and loss, I understand that grievers must share their story, like at a psychological level. Mm-hmm. It's how they process it, and it's how they help to heal it. And also, if you're not sharing it, you will never be able to derive meaning from it because it's all just built up. You mm-hmm. must get it out. It's a way of processing and making sense, and ultimately finding meaning to that. And I didn't have that when I went away, and so I sat in grief day after day as a young man, and then ended up just failing my entire year of college. In short, yeah, it was really a tough experience. You ended up eventually coming to Andrews University, which is where you and I had connected again. Yeah, a few years later, yeah. And you never would have thought as you came here as a kid, Mm -hmm. 19 or whatever years old, Mm -hmm. in depression, in grief, actually living out of your truck. Mm. Yeah. not even financially cleared to get in the dorm. So living in your truck, would you have ever thought that God would take that kid and allow him to become a professor at the same university, write a book and tell his, all these things. So I just Mm -hmm. want people, because somebody is listening right now and they are still in the truck. Yep, yep. Right? And I know when you're in the truck, it is so hard to ever see yourself outside of it. Actually, you say this in the book, which I think is so powerful as it relates to church. Mm. You have this quote where you talk about, and you were a pastor, and you say, because of that experience with your mom, with her trying to get to church and having your dad be on the hood of her car, literally before she even stepped foot in there, you Mm -hmm. say, be so careful as people walk into your church because you have no idea who was on their hood before they stepped into your church, right? So how have these experiences, Seth? changed how you see relationship, the grace you give maybe to a student who says, I don't know, like, I don't feel worthy even of it. Mm -hmm. How does this change how you experience people in life and Mm -hmm. give advice? Mm -hmm. There's a principle in the book. It's biblical based on Babarna research. And it's on forgiveness, but I think it definitely applies to this. Essentially that um, those who have been given or been shown radical forgiveness are more likely to extend radical forgiveness to others if they've experienced it. And for me, Mm. because I have experienced, I'll say first from God, radical grace in my life that I shouldn't be here. Sharing Mm. our stories is powerful. It helps me to want to extend that radical grace to others, to that student who shouldn't make it. I want to have them sit in my office and let's get you caught up, whatever it takes when maybe someone else may dismiss them because I was that student who so desperately needed that. And although that's on forgiveness, I think that it applies to relationships in many different facets of it, to what we've been shown is what we give. So first by God and also by others. So I'll say this relationships are often what break us in life, but relationships are the very thing which bring us healing at the same time. And so if we try Mm. to heal ourselves in isolation because we have been broken by someone, I think it will only go so far. And it's risky to put yourself back out there. And I think that there needs to be new boundaries that are also set up and you need to be more cautious. I understand all these things that go into it, but also there is this element that we are, as 
human beings, you're a communication professor, you say this all the time, wired for communication. In other words, we're wired relationally. And you're the one who always says this, right? The breakdown of the Ten Commandments, love God and love man. You say this, your relationship with God is only as strong as your relationship with your brothers and sisters here on earth. And so this is why not only is forgiveness so needed, that doesn't always mean that person will be a part of your life, but certainly it should help to be a lens in which we can see and interpret the world through the eyes of truly taking that upon ourselves, that humanity, we need each other. We are stronger together. This episode is brought to you in part by World Relief, an organization that partners with the local church to serve the most vulnerable. Around the world, increased conflict, the lingering effects of COVID-19, and disasters caused by our changing climate have left millions of people in desperate situations. Many are fleeing their homes and are facing starvation, persecution, and more. These overwhelming challenges cause many of us to wonder, can I make a difference? The answer is simple. Yes, you can. When you join The Path, World Relief's monthly giving community, you partner with World Relief in bringing hope and transformation to the millions experiencing vulnerability around the world. And when you partner with your monthly gift by September 30th, your first year of monthly gifts will be matched dollar for dollar up to $25,000. Double the impact of your giving and visit worldrelief.org slash viraljesus today. You and I did an interview with mm-hmm. Ed Setzer, who I adore. He's been yeah. a, a good friend to us. But he kept saying to us on the interview, I really think yeah. you guys have misread yeah. the tea leaves here when it comes to this book. And what he was talking about, so I just want you to speak to this for a second. What he was talking about is you and I are like, we've done the research. We've You've experienced mm-hmm. it in your own life. I think you mm-hmm. believe this too. I really feel called by the Holy Spirit to have mm-hmm. written this book. Fully. First of all, I just want everyone to understand God himself does not exist mm-hmm, outside mm-hmm. of relationship. God is when when God tries to explain who he is to us, we hear about the Trinity, right? Three persons. And so if God doesn't exist outside of relationship, why do we think as human beings we are going to be able to? And mm-hmm. also us engaging in relationship is truly engaging in the very nature mm-hmm. of God. So I just want to say that. But Ed Setzer was very right when he said, This isn't the time where people want to hear about forgiveness. This isn't the cultural moment where people want to hear about trying to extend Mm. grace because I think people are angry and we just kind of want to be validated for our anger. And so what would you say to that person who perhaps is the Seth of 10 Mm. years ago sitting in your truck and you are angry and for good reason? Mm. What is the call to to that person today through this book? I think before I would speak, I would listen. Mm. Before I would speak, I would sit and let them share their story of why they feel the way they are. Because again, we must get our stories out if we are to process them and bring meaning to them. And if all we're doing is sending these blurt messages of the trauma that's happened to us of the broken relationship of how our dad wasn't there of of the death story and 
My brother died. My dad never picked me up. My dad was a drug addict. My dad was in prison. My dad's still in prison. All of these things. We grew up poor. And I just share these little blurps from my life with people. And that's all I go around sharing because that's all we have time for because we're so busy. Mm. Then we don't get to see the full narrative of someone's life and understand that there's actually quite a bit more of a full story. If I was to just share those things, but I forget, but in that I don't get to share with you the time the janitor put the food in the car for us. I don't get Mm -hmm. to share the part about it. When I was at my lowest, we got reconnected. I don't get to share the part about when I went back to school, there was a I don't know who it was and we didn't have money. I don't get yeah, to share the part that. about how every single month someone left a hundred dollar bill yeah. for me at the front desk of the religion department. We still don't know so who if, that was. Yeah. And so we must get past people's anger. We must be able to learn to sit and not feel offended and let them get these blurps out long enough to where they feel comfortable and a rapport, a safe space is created to then they want to open up and share the full narrative of their life so that they can find some good meaning out of, and and I'll say this, I'm not saying something bad has happened so that you can find good meaning. I'm saying what the devil means for evil, Genesis 50 verse 20, God can still use for good because he's the author and the finisher of our faith. Go ahead and pastor us, Seth. All right. And so relationally, we are living, look at Twitter, how many characters, look at Instagram, short clips or messages. Yeah. It's taking away our ability to sit with one another because we are learning that is how we communicate with each other. Mm. Sit in the presence of someone for an hour every single week. Brene Brown says, I say this all the time, it is really hard to hate someone up close. Yeah. We aren't sitting long enough to get up close. All we're seeing is their hate. All we're seeing is the blurps of anger and pain. We must move beyond that. And we have to learn a level of relational resilience to that. And so I'd tell that person from 10 years ago, looking back, I hope that I could be that person to sit and listen to the entire narrative and then hear what else their life involves. What is the most recent example for you of a relationship that you burned or deleted or blocked or muted due to conflict that you were able to repair? Yeah, I shared this a few times. And and I want to share this again, because it's so fresh based off these last few months going off of last summer. And I think that there's many people like this. I'm sure the listeners, I'm sure this may resonate with your own life. I lost a relationship. I grew up with my cousins. Like we were ride or die. We were with each other every single weekend. But as we got older, I had a falling out with one of them that I grew up with. Like these were my extended brothers. And we had this falling out maybe 10 or so years ago. And we just let loose on each other on the phone. And that was it. We never spoke again. We never saw each other again. I avoided family reunions. Maybe he would be there. Maybe he felt the same way. And I harbored these feelings, which were anger at first, but then turned to sadness as the anger kind of faded. And I was able to articulate because anger is, I think it's like a secondary emotion. And really it was pain and fear and Mm, loss. And so once that dissipated and and over the years, I was just left with sadness and pain. And I'm sure he felt the same way. And I saw that cousin for the first time at a wedding this last summer. And I was nervous of what that would bring. And as we sat and we small talked, everything was fine. 
Maybe there was a little bit of anxiety. I was like, okay, got through this. But the elephant was still in the room. And as I was getting ready to leave, I said, hey, it was good to see you. And he said, yeah, you too. Turned to walk away. He put his arm on my shoulder. He just looked at me right in the eyes without saying anything else. Seth, let's never let that happen again. Mm. And that was all that needed to be said. We gave each other a hug. And that relationship that I should have had, that I lost for 10 years, the grief and the sadness from that, because I had the inability or he had the inability for so many years to call each other and say, I'm sorry. I mean, certainly what happened did not take 10 years to repair. That's the truth. We were stubborn. We were young. And now that I'm a little bit older and a little bit wiser, I wish that I could go back in time because that was a friendship, a male friendship that I could have had over the last decade. And so I would tell anybody this, weigh it out in your life, weigh it out. Mm. You may not be as isolated as you think. Mm. I'll give you another example. I had another cousin, nothing bad. And she was like a sister growing up. And we moved away. I moved away. We kind of just lost touch. We text each other once in a while. But then we moved back to Michigan from Denver. We got reconnected again. And we have had some really good conversations. I've had the opportunity to see her, to talk to her on the phone, to pray with her, share what's going on in life. All because I've thought, well... I just have to say this because this is so beautiful. When you reconnected um, with Whitney, she said to you, that she's been listening to my podcast. She did. We never would have guessed yeah. that she was. And so it's like, we create these stories yeah. about why there's been absence or why this relationship isn't continuing. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, mm-hmm. that person, Whitney had been checking on us yeah. this entire time. And so what a blessing to have her back in our lives. Yeah. She'd been following us even out in Denver. She said, I would try to watch your sermons. Watching your sermon. I read your guys' little devotional book that we did years ago, all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And here I thought this person surely didn't want anything to do with me. Doesn't care. Yeah, It's it's, it's irrelevant to her life. And again, I'm going to say to the listener, I wonder if there's people out there in your life who are just thirsting to have you back in their life. We wrote... I'll see you tomorrow after watching the Michael Jordan documentary series, The Last Dance. And it actually was born out of, you did a sermon series on I'll See You Tomorrow, which I'll give you a second just to explain to them Hmm. that the finite games and infinite games. But Mm. there's this moment in the documentary series where it's before the Bulls are really the Bulls and they are playing Orlando Magic. They make it to the playoffs, which was a huge deal for them at this time. And they Mm -hmm. lose. And so the wind is Mm -hmm. totally knocked out of their sails. They're, you know, embarrassed probably and just defeated and disappointed. And it's the end of the season. That's the last game. And so Mm -hmm. everybody just starts walking off the court because there's no responsibility or obligation to be there anymore. And the trainer says to Jordan, hey, man, as he's walking out, he says, just let me know when I'll see you. And Jordan goes, oh, I'll see Mm -hmm. you tomorrow. I remember watching Mm -hmm. that with you in COVID in Denver. And I said, we had chills because I said, Seth, like this is what's wrong with our Mm -hmm. culture. The reason Michael Jordan is Michael Jordan is because he never quit. 
And when everybody else went home, he went back mm-hmm. to the gym. He didn't mm-hmm. see it as a singular game. He saw it as a perpetual season. He said, if they're going to show up and watch me, they deserve from me that I must give them my best if they're going to show up and watch me. And so in relationships, we don't always do that. I'm not going to give you my best. Yeah. We just decided what would it look like if we just started saying to people, you know what, I'm upset or I'm disappointed or I'm hurt and I'm going to walk away. I need space to process this, but I'll see you tomorrow. So do you think relational resilience sometimes or more often than not in today's culture would be people just expressing how they feel with one another instead of just exiting them out of their lives? What do you think? Listen, so I teach conflict in communication. And and so I view this, I think, a little bit differently just because I've been studying this for 10 years. But I always tell my students, first off, conflict does not mean your relationship is bad. It means you have a relationship. Mm, That's good. Period. Conflict always exists in relationship because conflict is really just two opposite goals or Mm. desires. Of course, whenever you have more than one person, there's going to be conflicting pairs of goals or opposite desires. And actually, our ability to work through conflict, which I'm worried that we're losing that ability, but that's how you create even stronger relationships, Mm. is by seeing this person doesn't agree with me, or this person thinks I'm wrong, or this person is frustrated, but they still love me. Mm -hmm. And that's not getting withdrawn. Mm. That's how relationships become stronger, right? Is us realizing I'm committed to the relationship. Mm -hmm. And of course, this is not the same as toxic relationships. Those are a totally different thing. Listen to last week's episode with Sheila Wise-Rowe, where we break that down. Before we go, I just want you to tell us about the infinite games versus finite games. That was a chapter you did in the book. Yeah, Simon Sinek talks about this concept. Um, He has a talk on it somewhere on YouTube. But essentially, like the way we're applying it to the book, I actually applied it, I think, to the game of basketball and then to our lives. So he said there's players in the game. He said in business, you have like Apple, uh, you have Microsoft. He goes, these are some of the players in today's game. But, and the players are, are people and they get changed out as time goes. But like the infinite part of it is that the game of business, the game of being on top and being on the bottom, who's on top this month, Apple, Microsoft, who's selling more. Essentially, like that continues to change every single, if we can call it a season, right? But the game of business is something that keeps on going on year after year. In other words, seems quite infinite, right? Mm. And so in basketball, if we look at it in this way, you can have a sports team like the Chicago Bulls who may have lost, as in the story of Jordan, that season. That's finite, a single season. But what's infinite is that we can anticipate that there's going to be a game after game, a season after season after season. So there's an opportunity to come back and to play that game again because the game of basketball, right? is actually more, if we apply it to that, of an infinite thing because the sport's going to continue on and on and on. Mm -hmm. And so in our lives, the earth has been in motion and the earth will continue to be in motion. And we are set in, we are finite players in the infinite game of life. And so the question is, what are we going to do while we're in the game? This is everyone who's existing right now. This is our season in Earth's history. How are we going to play the game? And so it's a really interesting concept. I think that we play, we win, 
during our season when we play together. There's even a quote from Jordan that said, like, teamwork is what allowed him to be the player that he was. You Mm. look at the assists of other players, the rebounds of Rodman, all these other things during that time. He had a team around him. And I think that he attributes some of success to that as well. And so how are we going to play the game? This actually reminds me, we were watching this Oprah Winfrey video. And what was the quote about suffering? Oh, I don't know if it was directly on suffering, but she said, we are spiritual beings. And I, I might not be getting this completely correct, paraphrasing this. We are spiritual beings living in a human experience. Yeah. And what I think if we just take that and and tweak it just a little bit, we are eternal beings living a human experience. So what seems the game is infinite, the game is infinite according to the God, which means way you play your human experience matters matters. and friend has infinite consequences. Yeah. And that is actually the point of so much of life. We are in for a season, but the consequences are infinite, which takes it much higher than any business or any sports. It's powerful. Seth Day is my husband and co-author of our new book released this week. I'll see you tomorrow. Listen, I need you to actually pause this episode right now. This is so important. Get this book on Amazon. Get it on Audible. Go to your local bookstore, get it Target, Walmart, wherever you get your favorite books. I really would love for you Mm. to read. I'll see you tomorrow. And give us feedback. DM Seth, message him. He's Original Sad King on Instagram. Send me a message. You know how to get a hold of me. We poured, I can't even tell you, so much of our heart. And I feel like so much of where the Holy Spirit led us into this book. And I'm just so grateful, Seth, to have written it with you. I am grateful for that. And I'm just so grateful for people to hear not just my voice on this and the research and all that stuff, but also understand some of your lived experience, which I think is going to relate to a lot of people in their lived experience. Seth, my tagline this season for Viral Jesus is to encourage people to enter the chat. In a time when social media has so many negatives around it at Viral Jesus, we want to encourage people to take ownership of how they are communicating their faith, both online and off. So my question for you, Original Sad King, is how do you choose to be a redemptive voice in the online space? Mm. Yeah, I think that as I'm entering into the space and getting more comfortable with it, one of the things I'm learning is to not try to be someone that I'm not. Mm. And that for anybody online because you're going to burn out real fast. The times where I have been myself or been more transparent about maybe not having a good day and whatever way I seek to portray that are the days that I get the most messages. And so I think that if we can learn to be more honest with each other on and offline, I think that we will learn that, hey, I actually do have a larger community than I thought. Seth, thank you so much for joining us on Viral Jesus. And thank you for ending our pod class on our journey toward healing. I hope people feel better and more just aware of themselves and their experiences and having vocabulary for different things that we've experienced. 
um, as they take this journey toward healing. And I really hope that I'll see you tomorrow will be a part of everybody's commitment to relational healing with God and with each other. Thank you so much for joining us, Seth. So what can we learn in our sixth pod class on healing from Seth Day? Number one, don't wait so long for what would be ideal that you miss what is still possible. It was not ideal for Seth's mom to raise three kids and go back to school as a single mom with two jobs, but it was possible. What is still possible for you? And by the way, because Seth's mom did what was possible, Seth has been able to give our kids the ideal. Sometimes our stories don't expire with us. Number two, listen. When I asked Seth, how do we respond when people are so quick to scream and rage and hate and cancel? He said, what if we don't respond at all? What if we just listen? What if we are just present? Sometimes people's anger is coming from a really valid place and it doesn't have to scare us and we don't have to take it personally in order to acknowledge someone else's story. Number three, we are playing an infinite game. In Christianity, us, the players, we will switch out over time. There used to be an Apostle Paul and now there's not, right? But we are here. We are all here at this moment to play in the infinite game. And the cosmic call toward love and relationship and beauty and kindness and gentleness is an infinite call with eternal consequences. We are eternal beings having a human experience. And so what if instead of canceling somebody or kicking them out of your life for good, what if you just say, you know what, I'm hurt and I'm going to take some space and I need to think about this, but I'll see you tomorrow. I'm still in this relationship with you. Viral Jesus was brought to you by Christianity Today. I've been your host and creator, Heather Thompson Day, producer and audio engineer, Lauren Joseph, and executive producer, Ed Gilbreth. Please review and recommend us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Next week, it will be just you and I unpacking all the things we have learned over the last six weeks, feel free to send me an email if you want me to include a thought of yours in next week's episode about what you learned, or maybe it's just something you want to share with me about how you were challenged or a testimony that's happened in the last six weeks. You guys know I love a testimony or an area of your life that grew due to the past six weeks. You can email me at hello to T-O, hello to Heather at gmail.com. Please know that my emails are not private. Vimbo runs all my communication and she runs my calendar and she will make sure your thoughts get 
to me, but I can't wait to hear from you on how these last six weeks have been. I'll see you next week for another conversation where we can learn. I love growing with you on Viral Jesus. Every day, CT testifies to the reality that Jesus is alive, transforming his world and bringing his kingdom to bear. Jesus transforms, CT equips. Make a gift to our nonprofit ministry with a gift of $20 to provide 150 more people with redemptive storytelling, global perspective, and thoughtful podcasts. Give now at morect.com equip.